Hello, friend. Welcome to Making Disciples Naturally with the Kansas Communities Ministry. My name is David Dennis. Why does God sometimes lead his children into the desert? I know you're going to appreciate today's discussion with Eddie Broussard, International Vice President with the Navigators. In this third episode of six, Eddie shares how he was in Russia, many miles from home, serving the Lord when God dramatically knocked the props out from under him. Let's hear his story. In your book, Beauty in the Desert, uh, I've been reading that, and uh, it is, it's a, I guess, a small book, but it's packed with so much uh, inspiration and uh, information. I just have really appreciated that you started uh, the book by telling about your story when you went to Russia with the co-mission. So if you can kind of tell us uh, some of the experiences there uh, at the beginning, please. Sure. Uh, because the whole the whole thesis and idea behind the book is that, contrary to the version of God many of us get somehow, God does lead his people into deserts, and it's to accomplish good but very hard things in our lives. And it's primarily to transform our idea and knowledge of him and our very character into his. And the best place to do that is the place where God knocks out all of the props that we did not even realize we were leaning on other than him in things like our identity, our significance, uh, our security. And God refines us in the fire of the desert by loving us enough to bring us into these circumstances as he did with me in Russia. And as I think I mentioned in the book, all deserts are not hot. In this case, <laughs> mine was freezing cold because it was Russia in the wintertime. And uh, I had just completed my seminary training. Uh, I had been a navigator staff for a number of years. So I had all of this that I felt I had to contribute to be a blessing to the world if you will. And the Lord knew all of that. And so he brought me 7,000 miles away from everything that was familiar to me and allowed me to get to a place where I was beginning to function in the Russian language and I was getting around well in the culture and uh, serving in my role. And then one day, as I was walking into the major conference I led of all of our teams in, in uh, that part of Russia, uh, I was leading that big conference to orient our teams. Uh, well, actually, it's after they were oriented. They had been in country for about seven weeks. I walked into this conference that I was leading, and in a meeting with all of the leaders from these 14 agencies, because again, just to recount for those who aren't familiar, the commission was uh, an association, um, a cooperative actually, of about 70 to 80 different organizations, but 14 sending agencies like the Navigators crew and, and 13 others or 12 others that were sending teams on the field. Their leaders were together in a meeting and in the meeting, brought up the issue that I was presenting a problem to them in the way I was working with the teams, their teams in country. And right there, they 
asked me to step away from uh, leading the conference, and they put another conference director in, in the beginning of the conference, with people who were, they had, these were the same people I had led through the, our training, because I was one of the lead trainers up front. And one of the key people they saw most of, and I was the only trainer living in country. So we had a, I had a bond with the teams. And so there I am on the first day of the conference being removed. It was rather humiliating, to be honest. I was going to ask uh, your, your reaction to that was, was, wow. I mean, you're saying, how can they do that, basically, to me at that point? Right. And, and the, the interesting issue of dissonance with that was... I knew these men, these are, these, were, these are godly men, and I knew that these men, they, they didn't have an issue with me personally. I had, I had good relationships with these guys, and I knew they loved me as well as they loved others, but that there were things that I was doing in my immaturity and lack of ability to understand things that I learned the hard way that I needed to humble myself under the Lord and under these guys' leaderships in some ways that I had not been doing, even though I technically didn't do anything wrong. Right. It was creating a problem. Right. And God knew exactly what he needed to put his finger on to get my attention. Mm. Mm. And so I was thrust out 7,000 miles from home now with nothing to do because the some of the main contributions that I was doing, they said, we don't want that. That is not helping us. So now I'm sitting over here at my apartment in Moscow, 7,000 miles from home going, what am I doing here? And I thought I had some things to offer. The things that I thought I had to offer, I'm finding are not viewed as being helpful. And now I'm 6,000 miles from home in a Siberian desert. Wow. Wow. And it was absolutely transformative. And what the Lord did during those, those uh, years is he knocked out several of those props that I did not even realize I was leaning on to support my significance, what gave me worth, what made me feel good about myself, what supported my identity, and my sense of significance in the world. And God said, I am not going to let you go any further with uh, your dependence in these deep areas of your identity in something other than me alone. Wow. Wow. How did you uh, work through that in terms of um, seeing what God was doing in your life? At that point, was that a process over a period of days, weeks, months, uh, only evident in retrospect, perhaps? Or how did that process work out? What wonderful, wonderful question. It was a process over months of uh, weeks, but more months of taking a lot of of walks. Uh, in Russian, the phrase is Goliat Pishkom Palisu which means to kind of go for a stroll out in the forest. And I would go out in the forest in the freezing snow and just walk for hours with the Lord and pray and, and, and practice what I learned in passages like Psalm 62, 8. Pour out your heart, which is, actually begins, trust in the Lord, you people. 
pour out your heart before him. And there's a tension in our devotional life between trusting God on the one hand and pouring out our heart and our complaint and our struggle with him on the other hand and never letting go of either of those two. That, that to me was the powerful key. And to do it day after day, week after week, and even month after month, listening to God, waiting on him for direction for what he was going to say and where, where he would lead me. Mm-hmm. Well, in the book you talk about um, uh, seeing the beauty of God and you liken it to the tabernacle experience and going into the Holy of Holies and seeing his beauty and you talk about Hebrews. Can you talk a little bit about that concept of seeing God maybe through this and seeing what he's doing? Yes, uh, just, you know, years ago, way back to uh, Jim Downing's little book on meditation, which is the first time I saw this picture of the tabernacle as the one 15 by 15 foot square of earth that God's presence was manifest in the way it was nowhere else. And the beauty and glory of God, the way the book of Exodus describes in those final chapters, especially down in chapter 40 of Exodus, where now when the tabernacle was was finally constructed, God came and he put his presence on that in a unique and powerful way. A cloud filled the, the tabernacle and no one could even enter it because of God's holiness. And to the presence of God in his beauty and glory is what we were created to enjoy. That, that's why people go out into the mountains here in Colorado or, you know, Kansas, you guys in the lakes and other places of beauty that the Lord, you know, people escape the city to go and enjoy. Well, it's, it's God's glory that they're experiencing. It's because that's what we were created for. And so in the tabernacle, we, we were given a picture of this amazing uh, opportunity we have to come into a place that is not so much physical as it is a, an environment that God can make. Because now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant and the book of hebrews in my seminary studies i was able to do an advanced greek exegesis course where we studied the book of hebrews verse by verse in the greek text and i just couldn't even sleep at night it was so exciting i mean it was just uh, one of the great gifts god's given to me but it was in the book of hebrews that i saw the interpretive key that connected the two covenants because the reason I focus in the book on the sanctuary imagery of the tabernacle versus the sanctuary imagery of the temple of Solomon and the later temple or or the temple of Herod in the day of Jesus is because the Old Testament tabernacle is what is associated with the old covenant. And Jesus in the book of Hebrews is, 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 is exegeted to us as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek and the tabernacle Jesus entered with his blood was not a human tabernacle made with hands. 
It was cutting a new covenant with God in his own blood as the perfect sacrifice and the high priest all at the same time. And his new covenant, which caused the veil to split in two from top to bottom, was now opening for us a new and living way into, as he says in, in uh, Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, something that was impossible in the old covenant because only the high priest could go inside that veil and he could only do that once a year. And now for us, we come boldly right into the very throne room of God in prayer, in praise, in adoration, and seeking God. That's where we get to pray in the new covenant. And in no ways did I understand that with that level of clarity, but to see that there are two covenants and there are, there's powerful imagery from the very tabernacle of the old covenant that the author of Hebrews uses to express the blessings and benefits of the new covenant in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is the only New Testament book that quotes the new covenant uh, prophecy from Jeremiah 31. There's nowhere else in the New Testament. Paul references it in 2 Corinthians 3, but this is the only place where it's quoted and where it's explained with this kind of exquisite detail like the author of Hebrews does. God does lead his people into deserts for the purpose of transforming our knowledge of him and to transform our character into his. Often the best place to do that is the place where God knocks out all the props that we didn't even realize we were leaning on. Is God working in your life to refine you? Remember that when he does this, it is born out of a love for you so that you may be transformed into his image. Paul in Philippians 3.10 reminds us that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. We were created to see and enjoy God's beauty, and we, through our high priest, Jesus Christ, are allowed to enter the very holy of holies, the very presence of God. Have you come to the place in your life where you have believed in Jesus for eternal life? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 6.47 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I hope these messages are blessing you as they are me. For more information about our ministry, check out our website, kansasnavs.org, or our Facebook page under Kansas Communities Ministry. And be sure to drop me an email at radio at kansasnavs.org with any comments or questions. Join me again next time for the fourth episode out of six as we learn more about making disciples naturally. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.